Today on Let the Bible Speak. What kind of government did the Lord establish in His church? Our series on the Church of the New Testament continues next on Let the Bible Speak. And welcome to Let the Bible Speak. I'm pleased to be with you today and grateful for a few moments of your time to study the Word of God together. We're in the midst of a series of studies of the church we read about in the New Testament. Our objective is to carefully look at the church as it existed in the lifetime of the apostles when Christ established it after His passion and then His glorification and enthronement in heaven. We learned in our first sermon that the church is divinely planned. It is a divinely planned institution. It began on the first Pentecost after the ascension of Jesus. It is therefore an ancient thing. God planned it. Christ built it. The Holy Spirit working through the apostles revealed it. And the New Testament therefore defines and describes it. No one was ever given any right by God to build any church other than the church that Christ Himself built. And if that church is revealed in the inspired New Testament scriptures, shouldn't we be concerned with what the scriptures say about it? And shouldn't we be interested in honoring God's design and plan for the church as opposed to renovating and rearranging things that God revealed about it in His Word? Last week we learned about the form of the New Testament church. What exactly is the church anyway? And what form did it take when Christ established it? Today we wish to take that question a step further and ask, how did the Lord intend for it to be organized and governed? Not only does every human institution have some framework of organization and government, you might say, but every living thing does as well. Well, the church is not a human institution. It's a divine institution, and it is certainly a living organism. It is the body of Christ. And that makes it all the more important that we understand how the church is to be governed and thus how it should operate on earth. This is not a matter that God left it up to us to do as we please, Rather, the Holy Spirit through the apostles gave specific instructions and revealed certain facts that tell us how He expects the church to be organized and governed, even today. Reading now from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where Paul wrote, And He, Christ, Himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, of the body of Christ. And this is just one of several passages we will look at today that give us a composite picture of the government of the church as we find it in the New Testament. There are many forms of church government today that are not found in the scriptures, but are rather the result of changes on the part of men. We want to see what type of framework Christ placed within His church from the beginning, and that will be our lesson today, the government of the New Testament church after a song. Sing to me of heaven, sing that song of peace. From the toils and find me, it will bring release. Burdens will be lifted that are pressing so. Showers of great blessing for my heart will flow. Sing to, sing to me of heaven, 
So far in our series, we have established the following facts about the Church of the New Testament. Number one, that the Church of Christ is a divinely planned and planted institution. Number two, that Christ established the Church just as He promised immediately after His ascension to heaven nearly 2,000 years ago. Number three, that in so doing He only established one church. He never gave anyone the right to build any other church or to change the one He established. It is His church. Number four, that church exists on two levels. Universally, it is simply the spiritual collection of all baptized believers in Christ. Universally, it is a description of all of the saved throughout time. So the universal church is a spiritual reality, but not a visible organization in the way that we think of other organizations. The universal church is headquartered in heaven, it's governed from heaven, and it does not have any earthly form of organization. However, baptized believers in a given locality, they come together as the body of Christ and form a congregation of the church of Christ, Romans chapter 16, verse 16. It is the local church through which the work of God is carried out from place to place throughout the world. Any religious organization larger than the local church is simply not found in the scriptures. There is no such thing as a denomination in the Lord's church. Uh, you have the church universally, and then you have local congregations of the church made up of Christians who assemble together and work together to carry out the church's mission and message. Those are the two ways the Bible describes the church. Now, if we would return to that simple and that straightforward concept, I think we would get much closer to understanding God's plan for governing the church. So let's keep those facts in mind today, and I think it will help us as we note several passages throughout our study. Now, it's also necessary to understand that the kingdom of God is a divine monarchy, not a republic. It is not a democracy. It does not operate by the will of the majority. It does not follow the dictates of the state or the demands of the culture. It is a divine government sovereignly ruled by Jesus Christ. He is its king and its only head. Colossians 1 and verse 18 says that He is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. As we've already emphasized, Christ has but one church. He promised to build His church and no other. And that church is the one which submits to Him as its supreme and only ruler. But King Jesus had an envoy of ambassadors to whom He delegated authority when He built the church. Those ambassadors were His personally chosen apostles who were with Him and who were eyewitnesses of His resurrected majesty. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul taught that the household of God, which refers to the church, 1 Timothy 3 verse 15, that the household of God was built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Himself being the cornerstone. So then, who are the prophets? Well, a prophet was a person given a spiritual gift that allowed them to miraculously speak forth messages from God. The prophets that Paul has in mind were people selected by the apostles and who the apostles laid their hands upon to impart this miraculous ability. Now, there were several prophets who functioned in the early church. We read about them throughout the New Testament, the book of Acts and other places. And they assisted the apostles in the work of revealing the truth to the early church. Now, some of these prophets were used by the Holy Spirit even to pen Scripture. Men such as Mark and Luke and Jude all wrote portions of the New Testament, and their writings were accepted by the early church as divinely given Scripture 
because they were recognized as inspired prophets. Now, today we don't have apostles and prophets living among the church because the apostles, well, they were selected by Christ personally, and no man today can meet the qualifications of an apostle given in Acts chapter 1, for example. Nor do we have living prophets because we don't have apostles to lay hands on others and impart the miraculous gifts necessary to function as a prophet. Besides the purpose of apostles and prophets, that purpose was fulfilled when the new covenant was fully revealed through and by them, according to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Now, actually, the apostles and prophets are still with us today in a sense, not in person, but in the form of their inspired writings left to guide us. Jude tells us that the faith was once for all delivered to the saints, according to Jude, verse 3. So, the church of Christ was then and is now solely headed by Christ, and he has expressed his authority over the church through his apostles and prophets who left us the New Testament, which consequently is our guide and our authority in the Christian faith today. Through this book, the apostles and prophets guide us in the way of the Lord. Now, the Lord never established any other framework or hierarchy of authority to govern the worldwide church. Nor did he sanction the dividing of the church into separate bodies or denominations with systems of government over each of them. He, he established one church with him as the head, and that is to follow the teachings of his apostles and prophets who were originally appointed in the early days of the church. So you'll not read in the New Testament about a pope, about an archbishop or a cardinal, nor will you read of any kind of president or superintendent, or you won't read of conventions or synods, nor any other form of government larger than or outside of the local church. Now you see, beginning on the day of Pentecost, as the gospel began to be spread, first in Jerusalem and then from there to Judea and Samaria and ultimately throughout the Gentile world, when people were converted and baptized into Christ, a congregation would be planted in a city or a region, and it would be left there to function as the body of Christ in that place. Now, each church was a self-contained unit. Each church was intended to be self-sustaining and sufficient to carry out the work of the kingdom in that locality, and that church was to be guided by the teachings of the apostles and prophets. But there would be a need for that congregation to be organized within itself and overseen locally. In other words, the flock that was there in that place had to be shepherded, instructed in the faith and in the Christian life. It had to have a system of internal accountability. It had to have some kind of organization, just like a physical body, for it to properly function as a spiritual body. So in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, Paul says that besides apostles and prophets who had authority over all churches for all time, Christ also put evangelists, pastors, and teachers in place to function in the local church. Now these men function in the context of the local church. Evangelists were and are men sent out by a congregation to spread the message of Christ. There's nothing miraculous about the work of an evangelist. He's simply one who is sent out by a congregation to spread the message of Christ that he gets from the already revealed Word of God. Uh, and part of his work is to, as he preaches the gospel, to establish new congregations and ground them in the faith, to develop them. And then Paul mentions not only pastors, or evangelists, but pastors. Pastors is another word for a shepherd. 
or an elder. And it does not refer to a preacher per se. We briefly touched on this last week. Now, I know most people refer to preachers as pastors, but that's a misnomer. Now, a pastor may be a preacher, but preachers are not necessarily pastors. Pastors are simply men who are appointed by preachers or evangelists to oversee the congregation that they are members of. So when you hear the word pastor, if you're thinking biblically, you shouldn't think of your 30-year-old preacher, but you should think of the elders in the congregation. Those are the pastors, older, experienced men who meet the qualifications outlined in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, who have been appointed to oversee and shepherd that flock. Now that's a distinct work from simply being the preacher. Then Paul uses the word teachers. He says, some pastors and some teachers. Now we should note here that in the Greek text, scholars say it reads, the pastors and teachers. And some point out that when you apply rules of grammar, that pastors and teachers actually refers to the same person. That simply being a teacher is just a further description of the work of a pastor or elder. After all, Paul said in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 2 that a qualification of an elder was that he be apt or able to teach. So within the local church, pastors or elders are to shepherd, feed, teach, oversee that flock. Each church, in other words, is to have its own elders to oversee it. You know this idea that a church hires a preacher and he is called the pastor and he fills the pulpit every Sunday and every service and is counted on to do all of the preaching, well, that's not a biblical model. That's not what we find in the New Testament. Evangelists were being sent out to preach the gospel. They would establish a church. They would work and develop that church. But their ultimate goal was to establish elders within that congregation who would feed and teach that flock. Not that there wasn't a role for the evangelist even in that congregation. But the fact is that elders were to be involved in the teaching and the feeding of that flock. That's, that's God's pattern. This is apparently God's will for the government of every local church because Paul directly commanded Titus in Titus 1 and verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. In Acts 14, verse 23, we're told of Paul and Barnabas' travels together, and it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So every church, you see, was overseen by its own elders. And these elders did not oversee multiple churches. They oversaw the church where they were a member and were appointed to serve in that role. For example, to the elders of the church at Ephesus, Paul said in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. And later Peter would write in 1 Peter 5 verses 1 and 2, The elders who are among you I exhort and who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will, will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So you see, each church had its own oversight. The only authority outside of the local congregation was that of the apostles and prophets. 
And this idea that churches come together and form an organization with a system or a hierarchy or a pyramid of governance is simply not taught in the Bible. That's the creation of man since the days of the apostles. In fact, such arrangements are contrary to the Bible. Now, I know there are many people who make a distinction, for example, between the offices of an elder and a bishop, and some claim that a bishop is not only different but a higher office with a broader scope of authority. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In the New Testament church, you see, a bishop and elder were the exact same person. In fact, back in Acts 20 and verse 28, which we read a moment ago, the word there, overseers, is the exact same word for bishops. And Luke makes it clear that the ones Paul was calling bishops or overseers in verse 28 were who? The elders of the Ephesian church that he called for in verses 17 and 18. So an elder, a bishop, an overseer, a pastor, a presbyter, they're all the same person. They're just different names or descriptions of the same work, the same person doing that work. And those people who serve as those elders at the same time bishops, the same office, they are appointed overseers of the local church of which they are members and no other. They were to shepherd the flock among them, Peter said. And consequently, something else we never read of in the New Testament was a church with multiple campuses or locations under one central leadership. Uh, that's a modern development, and that's not something we read about in the New Testament. But rather, each church was a congregation of people who came together in one place, according to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, and chapter 14, verse 23, to eat the Lord's Supper together, to learn the Word of God together, to edify one another, to serve together as a body. Once men could be found who met the qualifications that Paul cited in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, those men were appointed to oversee the work there and shepherd that flock. And that church then functioned as the body of Christ, as a mature body in that place. But then there was another role described in the local church. For example, in Philippians 1 and verse 1, Paul addressed the church there. He begins his letter to the church there by writing, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there were bishops or elders and deacons in the church at Philippi. Now, you see, Paul refers to the bishops or overseers of the church at Philippi and mentions that alongside them were deacons. Now, a deacon is simply a servant what the word implies. There, now there are qualifications for those who are to serve as deacons in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as, as, as well. Uh, when it comes to elders and deacons, it's not as one older preacher recently described to me. He said, it's not eeny, meeny, miny, mo. There are qualifications uh, for these men who do these works. But these people are appointed to meet and to carry out, the deacons are appointed to meet and to carry out the more temporal and physical needs of a congregation, while the elders focus on the more spiritually related and focused issues within the church. And the bishops and deacons work there in tandem to see that that local body as a whole functions as it's supposed to. Now, friend, that's God's simple but profound design for the church. Now, any other arrangement than that is simply not of the Scriptures. No matter how attractive it may seem to be, no matter how efficient some may claim that it is, it's not of the Word of God. 
and therefore is not of God. Any organization larger and more complex than what we've described from the pages of the New Testament is not what we read about in the New Testament. And, uh, the, and we need to abandon the inventions and the traditions of men and return to that simple New Testament model. You simply can't improve upon God's design, though men and women have certainly tried down through the centuries. In fact, one of the first departures from the design of the original church was in the corruption of these offices in the local congregation. If you want to learn more about that, go to our YouTube channel, Let the Bible Speak TV, and search for our series on innovations in religion. And we have a sermon there dealing with innovations in church government and organization. And I, I challenge you to go and to watch that and to, and to learn about that. But in a relatively short time after the ministry of the apostles, a regional and then worldwide hierarchy of power evolved in the church that ended up opening the door for all manner of apostasy and false century and false doctrine in the years and in the centuries to come. And friend, that's one of the problems with replacing God's simple arrangements with a larger pyramid of power. My friend, if it boils down to this. If we desire to imitate the church of the New Testament and simply be the church as Jesus established it, a necessary part of that effort is to restore the form and organization and the government of the church as it existed in the beginning. And that means to lay aside the ideas of men that are contrary to the Bible, to let the scriptures be our pattern, to let the scriptures be our only guide, to simply let the Bible speak and go no further than what the Bible speaks and what it says and what it outlines, and to simply leave aside the ideas and the innovations and the departures that men have introduced to the work of God since Jesus built His church and the apostles received it. And may we have the resolve to be content to go back and simply be Bible Christians, nothing more and nothing less, to do Bible things in Bible ways and call Bible things by Bible names. Lord willing, we'll continue our series next week, and I'll be back in just a moment.
so glad you were with me today for the third lesson in our series on the Church of the New Testament. And if you would like to have a free printed transcript of what we studied today, we'll be glad to send that to you again free of cost. Won't you get in touch with us and ask for the lesson, The Government of the New Testament Church. It's lesson number three in the series, The Government of the New Testament Church. And we'll be glad to send that free copy to you as soon as we can. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll tell a friend or a neighbor, a family member about our program. Have them watch if you're watching on television in a local broadcast market or if you're watching online. Be sure to share these programs with others on your social media platforms. We would surely appreciate it. Help us spread the word. You can always find us online at ltbstv.org and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. Please do that. That'll help us out to subscribe to the channel. It'll help the word go farther as we preach it and uh, also share these from week to week. We would certainly appreciate that. Thank you for being in the audience today. Hope to see you back here next time, if God is willing, for another Bible study together. Until then, have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you again. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.